You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. This is the beginning of the gospel according to Luke. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty according to the things you have been taught. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Luke chapter one is where we're gonna be. And um, we've got the scripture journals if you ever wanna grab one of those um, or use your own Bible, whatever you wanna do. We are gonna be walking through verse by verse through Luke. It's the longest book in the New Testament, so buckle up. But it'll be, a, it'll be a good time. We'll take some breaks as people need breaks and things like that. But we're really going to be diving into that. Um, the big question, of course, is why Luke? Why are we studying the Gospel of Luke? And let me just start and say this, that if you're someone reading the Bible and you're reading in the Old Testament and you get bogged down or you're reading Paul's letters and, and, and you're getting bogged down, it is a good, healthy practice to go back and just, just immerse yourself in one of the Gospels. And you just get to watch the life of the Lord that we love and that we serve. And you just get to read his life. It's very refreshing. And so um, Luke's gospel in particular, Luke, here's a trivia question for you. The only non-Jewish author of your New Testament is Luke. Luke is Greek. And while the other gospels are written like Matthew to the Jews, Mark to the Romans, John's is a general gospel. God so loved the world. Um, Luke's gospel in particular is written by a Greek to other Greeks. So it's a Gentile author that is writing this. You'll see this as we see who it's written to. You heard Lou read it, Theophilus. It's a very Greek name. His name is God, and then Theos and Phileo is Theophilus. And so um, some think it's a general term, meaning anybody who is a God friend or God lover, someone who loves God. It could be. When it says most excellent Theophilus, it's probably a um, a certain individual, an individual that has, um, is maybe a man of means that has enabled Paul, or excuse me, enabled Luke to be able to write this gospel of Luke. So he is writing this to Theophilus, but you and I know that even though there's an original audience, God does an amazing thing that even though it's written to this guy that we've never met, we don't know much about him. We know that when we read this, our hearts can be moved even today. Some of the things you'll see, why are we studying the Gospel of Luke? Um, Because it's this Greek author, there was something in the Greek culture called arete, it was excellence, and they were looking for excellence. The Greeks were always looking for the perfect man. So um, you can think Socrates, logos, ethos, pathos is how they do rhetoric. You have, they were looking for someone with the perfect logos, with the perfect words, with the perfect uh, pathos, where you have this, the passion, your emotion in check as well. You've got um, ethos, the ethics, that this is a moral person as well. And you put those together, that's the perfect person. So they're looking for the perfect person. So where Matthew's gospel, since he's talking to Jews, he's trying to show them that, he's, that Jesus is the king of the Jews. 
Mark's gospel where he's writing to the Romans who are people of action. And so it's this action-packed gospel of everything that Jesus does. He shows Jesus as, in Mark's gospel, as the suffering servant. Think about the contrast to Rome about people who came to be king and they would ascend so they could go to a palace and then look down at people who are supposed to be serving them. And instead, how does he portray Jesus? The one who comes and the way he leads is he's willing to suffer and be the servant. Quite a contrast in their culture. And then in John's gospel, he's portraying Jesus as, um, for God so loved the world. If he's going to be God of the world, well, he better be divine. And so they emphasize in that gospel his divinity, the deity of Christ. And in, in um, Luke's gospel that we're looking at, and very important to the Greek audience, is they are emphasizing the humanity of Jesus Christ. This is why we need it. What we're going to see in this gospel in particular is a great example of living righteously in unrighteous times. Particularly Luke's gospel focuses on the acts of Jesus as a human being living righteously in unrighteous times. I mentioned he was Greek. You'll see this. The first, the, the four um, verses we're getting to are one sentence in Greek. It's very elegant Greek. There's some really technical Greek as well because he really knows that language. It's the only gospel with a dedication at the beginning. Did you catch that? He says, oh, Theophilus. He's writing to Theophilus. The other ones don't do that. That's big in Greek writing and not as much in Hebrew literature. So this is somebody writing and he is going to reveal Jesus to be a righteous person living in unrighteous times. Second reason we're looking at it, um, if you want a good verse to summarize the theme, um, Luke 19.10 is a good one. In fact, R.C. Sproul has a commentary on this, and it is just called, The Son of Man Came to Seek and Save the Lost, which is Luke 19.10. The Son of Man, so it's meaning um, emphasizing his humanity. Jesus was fully God, fully man. Um, Luke emphasizes his humanity. Um, and then to seek and save that which was lost. People didn't care about the lost in Jesus' day. Somebody's sick, stinks to be you. You're not a follower of God, too bad, figure it out, and then you can come over here and you can follow us. They didn't care, and Jesus, we're gonna see, goes and makes a beeline for individuals. In fact, feel free to check me on this. I think that Luke's gospel is one that emphasizes the most individuals, which is a pretty remarkable thing. So, um, You've got the shepherds, the angels, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Simeon, Anna, Mary, Martha, Simon, Levi, the centurion, the widow of Nain only appears in Luke's gospel. John the Baptist appears. Some of the stuff is unique to his gospel as well. Zacchaeus, walking and seeing Zacchaeus, and he sees him and he says, come down, I'm going to your house today. You know the song. He goes and he gets Zacchaeus. That shows up only in Luke's gospel, that care for that individual. Cleopas, Simon of Cyrene, Joseph of Arimathea, on and on and on with all these individuals. It's where we find the parable of the Good Samaritan. Everybody hated the Samaritans. And Jesus tells a parable and calls a Samaritan good. He emphasizes Gentiles. People, the Jews especially, didn't care about Gentiles. Uh, sinners, I mentioned. The poor, outcasts. I think, I think women being here, I think this will be an edifying thing for you as well. Think about how women were treated in that culture. And we'll watch what Jesus did with women. He made a beeline for lots of them. This has Mary's Magnificat coming up. This is the only gospel that records that. Children are another thing that's emphasized in Luke's gospel. Jesus is on the cross. Think about how personal this is. He's on the cross, he's dying, and people are gambling for his meager possessions, his clothes. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Luke's gospel records that. 
The other thing that's only in Luke's gospel is you have Jesus on the cross, people on either side of him, the criminals on either side, and they're both hurling insults at Jesus, and then one of them uh, sees him forgive, has a change of heart, defends Jesus to the other one, and he says, surely this is the son of God, and so he, what does he do? He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He acknowledges Jesus and who he is, this thief on a cross, we don't even know his name. Luke records it, and he records Jesus saying, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. Luke cares about those individual things. He's showing how Jesus goes to people that are insignificant in the culture. Here's why I think this is so important for us today. Because as our problems get bigger, we feel smaller. Think about the problems that are going on in our world today. You've got this virus thing. You've got, you know, marriages are completely changing in the last 20, 30 years, especially. We're having conversations about your very gender, what gender you are. Think of, you know, nuclear weapons. Think about poverty. Think about the environment. Like, we start looking at all these issues, and it just seems to be growing, and that we go, every one of those is a big deal, and I feel like I can't do much to do anything about it. And we can start to feel very small. We can start to feel very helpless. And what we're gonna see in the gospel of Luke is we're gonna see Jesus not setting up a nonprofit so he can go and he can eradicate poverty, but walking up to that poor person right in front of him and helping them. We're gonna watch Jesus not, um, uh, not try and establish a hospital, but just see a sick individual and go and give them healing. There's gonna be a great lesson in this for us as well. We'll see this repeatedly throughout the gospel. I can't go in and fix everything that's wrong with marriages in our culture. I can work on my marriage. I can have some close-knit people around me. I can help them with their marriage. I've got kids. I look at the next generation. I think this is a tough world that they're growing up in. I can't fix everything about it, but I can shore up my children to live in the times that are to come. I think over time what you'll see is you'll start to see that even though the problems are big, you're gonna watch how Jesus solves them. Individually. Let me get my 12 guys. Go and individually see people. It'll be encouraging. Now, there's a third reason as well. Um, and to do this, I gotta give you some facts on Luke. This is Dr. Luke. Um, we see him in Luke or in Acts chapter 11. He's converted in Antioch. He's um, taught and discipled by Paul. He goes with Paul on a second missionary journey and then he ministers to Paul in prison as well. In Colossians 4, he's referred to as the beloved physician Luke. So Paul refers to him as his buddy, this beloved physician, a doctor that is walking with Paul and, uh, and caring for Paul. So he's a physician. There's examples where um, in, uh, I think it's Mark's gospel, where um, it talks about a woman with a fever and Luke says she has a high fever, but it's actually a kind of technical term. And he's a doctor and so he's able to give a little more information about it. So we'll see, we'll see flavors of that as we go. But um, I'm getting to the third reason why we're actually studying this. This is the only gospel with a sequel. Do you know that? Luke wrote Luke and then he also wrote Acts. Let me read you the introduction to the book of Acts. In the first book, O Theophilus, remember that name? I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So Luke wrote the book of Acts. That's about Jesus's 
um, birth, his life, his ascension, and then what happened after that, the apostles, and he has the Acts of the Apostles, and Luke records that as well. In fact, trivia question, who wrote the majority of the New Testament? You might think it's John because he wrote uh, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. You probably think it's Paul, or you might think it's Paul because of all the Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all those that he wrote to all those people. But actually, by word count, the person that wrote the most in the New Testament is Dr. Luke. Luke acts that two-part, the book or whatever you want, those two books make up the largest chunk of of our New Testament. Why did he write it? To them. Let me just show this to you. In Luke chapter 1, verse 1, you heard Lou read it. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered to us, it seemed good to me. Here's his purpose statement. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Why are we studying Luke? Is because we could all use more certainty. Everybody can stand even firmer in their faith from where they are today. And this is a book that is written, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to say, I'm gonna help you stand firm. The world would like to blow us over right now. This is gonna help us stand firm. In fact, I'm gonna just tell you right now, I'm gonna cut to the chase. I'm gonna have one question that's your your, your question over lunch, your, um, if you're introspective and you're writing in a journal or you have a prayer time by yourself or Zooming with family and friends or whatever it might be, here's the question, is to consider talking about your faith in terms of your feet. Describe your faith in terms of your feet. How firmly do you stand? I'll show you more about that as we uh, dive into this. But if you've got your Bible and you wanna follow along, there's a couple, couple keys you can underline and highlight as well. One through four, I mentioned before, is one sentence. We're gonna go verse by verse. Verse one says this. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, let me pause there for just a minute and hit two key words. A lot of people have done this. Luke's not the first person to try and compile these things. The word um, compile is the word anatasso. Ana is pieces and tasso is, um, is in order. And so what he's saying is, I'm gonna compile, other people have done this and what I'm going to do, Paul is saying, is to take all the pieces of the story of the life of Jesus and I'm gonna put them in order so you can understand them. But one of the keys too, when it says undertaken, the word right there, it's, it's not quite, but it's almost like saying manual labor or hard work. He says, many have done a lot of hard work. Luke intuitively is, or inherently is saying, I'm going to do hard work. The people who are qualified for me to go interview, for me to go research, are the people that have actually done hard work. That's what he's saying. Many have undertaken to do this. Can I, just a quick application is, do the hard work. Do the hard work. We do hard work for the things that are important to us. I, I, I just sort of crossed paths with a, um, a teacher in uh, probably middle school, I think it was. And I, he was, he's a math teacher. And I'm learning with my kids. Um, I would love to think my kids go to school and all the children go to school because of a love of learning and a quest for learning. But the reality is when you go open up your math book, they're not going, yay, math. 
right? And so, I, so we were talking about it, and he was telling me something. He was, you know, we were just teaching him this, 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 and I was like, golly, that'd be so hard to get them interested. How'd you do that? And uh, it was right after the Rocky, Rockies game where Charlie Blackman had hit a walk-off home run and the Rockies won. And so he said he started out the class and he, he uh, got out his laptop and he played the video of Charlie Blackman hitting a home run and everybody going nuts and you know pouring Gatorade and stuff on each other. And he said they're all sitting there watching the video. And then um, he showed them the, uh, the post-game interview. And I don't remember all the details, but it was... Uh, Charlie Blackman, and they were interviewing him. Charlie Blackman's the beard guy, if you don't watch the Rockies. And uh, they're interviewing him, and, and they said, tell us about that last at bat. And he said, well, I knew that I was down in the count, and normally he'd pitch me here, but I figured he had to pitch me here. And he's going through, and he's explaining. Like, you could tell these guys know what they're talking about. And he's going through and explaining why he thought the pitch was going to be where the pitch was, and then he, why he took it over the fence. And so the, the teacher turned to his students. He showed them all this, and he said, uh, he said, so how did he do that? And they're like, well, he had statistics. He knew that da-da-da. And he goes, yeah, you know what we call that? Math. Open up your textbooks. And they're like, I got one of my textbooks. Then all of a sudden they wanted to know. I was like, oh, that's brilliant. They want to do the hard work for things that are, uh, that are important to them. I researched COVID pretty good. And then I got COVID and I researched it really good. And I started asking a bunch of questions to try and figure out about it. Today, do we do the hard work or do we form an opinion before we even understand fully all the facts? We do the latter. I, was, I don't really watch the news, but I was watching just kind of online piddling around and I saw um, more, more, of a, more of a left-leaning news outlet interviewing somebody who did not like, he was there as a spokesperson essentially, uh, like a president or CEO against this, this um, voting law in Georgia. And they were interviewing him about it and he went through all the bullet points about he was thinking of um, pulling business from Georgia over it. And he said, it's racist. And he went through the whole thing and it's political cheating. And, and he had hit all the bullet points. And so I was just listening to it. And then I th this is what I think happened, but I could be wrong. It seemed like somebody told the, the anchors, this man and this woman, um, hey, can you fill for another 30 seconds? Because um, they both kind of went, okay. And they were like flipping through some notes and things. And then the guy asked him this. So a more liberal network and a more liberal person. So kind of on the same team. And he says, um, he says, now this bill, I have a few questions. And he says, I assume you've read it. And he starts to ask some questions, but he noticed that there was a pause when he said, I assume you've read it. And kudos to this guy that he goes, have you read the bill? And the man said, well, not yet. And it was interesting to watch that he felt very strongly about something that he hadn't read. And before we go, uh, the people on the left, I am 100% certain people on the right did the exact same thing. Oh, the Democrats don't like it. It must be great, right? Did you read it? No. <laughs> I read it. It is 98 pages. It is boring. <laughs> I read the entire thing. As a pastor, I probably understood, I'd like to think I understood maybe two-thirds or three-quarters of it. The reality is if I sat down with someone, they'd show me all the language and why, well, they said it like this and not like this because it means this. So I'm sure maybe half of it is I understood at, at best. I, I've read it and I still feel so unqualified to give my opinion about it. You know what would be a great healthy thing to do is if somebody, I'm just using that as an example, if somebody comes up and says, what do you think about this? To say, I don't know, I haven't read it. We need to do the hard work if we're going to give our take on something. And what Luke is saying is I have done the hard work. This is the source. The sources I'm going to have read the bill. The sources have done the hard work. That's the only people qualified 
to have their information in here. Can I just say, please don't relegate the study of Jesus Christ, the learning of Jesus Christ to bullet points. Don't do the same thing we do every place else in our culture, which is, uh, who are the sources that we sort of listen to and what are they? Okay, so I'll, I'll be good with that. Oh, these people don't really like this, so I'll jump on with them. Go firsthand and do the hard work to know about Christ. That's what Luke is doing. And here's who he goes to. Verse two, it says, just as those who from the beginning, the beginning of the life of Christ, I think is what the best way to understand this, were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. This word eyewitnesses is incredibly important in, in, in the, for Greeks. If they had a work that was this long and they spent half of it explaining all the eyewitnesses and how they did their research, we would be bored to tears. That was very important in, for Greeks to know where did you find this? And he says, I have found them with eyewitnesses, but look at these eyewitnesses and think about their culture. It's not just people who saw and took notes. He is going to people who were ministers who passed this then down. In the shadow of the Roman Empire, where passing this down, anybody you talk to, you could immediately be shamed and guilted. You could immediately be ostracized from the culture. He says, the people I went to saw firsthand. This isn't speculation and innuendo and rumor. This is firsthand accounts. And these are the people, Theophilus. And I see a picture of Theophilus like, are you kidding me? These people, they, they passed it down. They were so sure that they were willing to give their life, that they were willing to be ostracized in the culture, that it was gonna impact their family. That's how strongly they believed it. Oh yeah. They saw it and they turned and they passed it on and they were willing to pay any price. They're saying, bring it on, this Jesus is worth it. That's who's qualified to talk about this. And if you think about where we get our information today, why do the news channels pick the news that they pick to report? They have advertising dollars, they need, they need eyeballs. Why does somebody, out of a 40 minute interaction with, say, the police, why does somebody post the uh, most, um, the, the, the juiciest 30 seconds? I, I don't mean to be insensitive as I say this, I'm sorry, but like the, just a 30 second clip, because I'll get likes, I'll get retweets, it'll drive people to my blog. As people do that, the, the people who bring us news in our culture today, their motivation behind it, and I guess I don't really fault them for it, is, is for them. I need to keep my job, I need to keep viewers, I need to keep listeners. What he's saying here is the people that I've talked to, this isn't a selfish thing for them. This is, they were willing to sacrifice for this. And it's not just a practical thing. Look at verse three. It says, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write, <coughs> excuse me, an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught Excuse me. The word um, seemed is very important. If you're taking notes, let me tell you what this is. It's the word decao. It's used in his other work in the book of Acts, excuse me, three times. And it's used not just the way we use it today where you go, that seemed good. Like it seemed right. It sort of felt okay in my heart, anything like that. What he's doing here when he's talking about this it's used in the book of Acts, the Jerusalem council, Jews and Gentiles, do we need to be circumcised and how do we work together? So they call this council. They come to a decision to understand what the Lord would have them do. And then they do, you just got to witness some of this. They decided, it's, they said it seemed right to us and the things that say they, it seemed right to them were um, to lay hands on people, to pray for them and to send them to go and reveal their decision to the people that were asking the question. 
If you read that account, it's in Acts chapter 15. If you read that account, what you'll see is he is clearly saying not, it seemed good to us, like, no, 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 it seemed like a good idea. It seemed good because the Holy Spirit was leading us to do this. That's what it means. So when it says it seemed good to us, he's also saying this is something that is supernatural that's happening. This is the Holy Spirit is prompting me to do this. This is why we talk about the, um, the books of the Bible. We say they're written by men, but they're inspired by God. They're divinely driven. That's what he's saying. So if you think about, if you think about this, oh, actually, let me, let me show you this. Okay, verse four, that you may have certainty. I gotta tell you a funny story too. That you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. That word for certainty is really key. It's, uh, it's the Greek word asphaltos. And you know what that is? You just walked on some of it as you came into the sanctuary today. Asphalt, like out in the parking lot. That's the etymology of this word. It's used, it's, it's the strongest, securest substance that they had in the day. And we, we have asphalt here today. But it's, it's used another time in Luke's gospel when um, the apostles are in prison and then the angels come in and break them free and everybody walks in and goes, how is this possible? The reason they're having a hard time with it is because all the locks in the Roman prison, the securest thing you could think of, were asphalto. They were, uh, they were secure. That's the word that he's using right here, as rock solid as you can possibly get. That's what he's saying. He is saying, I'm going back, I'm doing the hard work, I'm finding the people who are willing to give their lives for it. Other people won't do the hard work, I will. I'm gonna do some exhaustive research. God is guiding me to do this and the reason I'm doing it is so that you can stand on asphalt, that you don't have to stand in quicksand in your faith. Now, here's why in our day and age, it's difficult to have certainty. I have to tell you one statement that may be all you need for today. You can have certainty without having all the answers. You can have certainty without having all the answers. Luke doesn't tell every single thing about Jesus. There are things in other gospels that don't appear in Luke's gospel. Luke is writing these so that Theophilus can have certainty. But think about this. Today we hear, you need, or the thought is you have to have every single answer before you can be secure in your faith. Not true. Don't buy it. I, I am certain of Jesus Christ and what he's done. There's a God who created, that he loved me, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who died as a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. He, he lived, he died, he shed his blood that I might be forgiven before God. He ascended to heaven, he sits at the right hand of God, and when I pray, he's interceding on my behalf, and I will spend eternity with him. I am certain of that. You could ask me questions about the Bible, and I might go, I'm not sure, and have to sit there and dig a little bit. You can have certainty without having all the answers. I think of it like this. We, were, we had just moved here, so about five or so years ago. I have to get the timeline, but it was snowing. For a Texan to look and see snow, you know, it's like magic. And we were, the five of us were, I think it was the King Supers, we're all at the grocery store, and Seth and I were bored, and so I said, hey, Seth, let's go out and sit in the car and we'll just watch it snow. That was more fun than being in the grocery store for me. So we went out and he's like, yeah, let's do it. We have, we have man time, we call it. So we go have man time in the car, which is sitting there. And the, Nikki and the girls were all in doing, um, getting the groceries and finishing up and stuff. And uh, I said, you wanna, you wanna start the car? 
because I let him sit in the front seat just because we were just sitting there. You want to start the car. And for us, this is a big deal, not to brag, but our car is the kind you just push the button and it starts, which is a big deal for us. We always had the little turny ones. Yeah, now I just push a button, pretty swanky. So um, we sit in the car and, uh, and Seth hadn't seen, he's never been in the front seat. And so we sit in the car and um, I say, you want to start the car? And he goes, yeah. And he starts digging around for the keys. And I knew they were in the car somewhere. And so I just pushed the brake and I said, you can just push the button. And he goes, really? Yeah, you can do it. And he asked, he said, you sure? And I was like, I'm pretty sure, buddy. Yeah, go for it. And I, and I pushed the brake down and he pushed it and the engine just roared to life. And you should have seen, it was awesome. I did that. And then he asked me a question and he said, how does that work? And my brilliant answer was electricity. <laughs> that was it. I don't know how it works, but I'm certain it works. That's what he's saying with the Gospel of Luke. You're not going to get every single question answered. Someday we will when we're in the presence of God. But what we can do is we can live our lives with the certainty of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And that's what Luke is going to do. Because he did the work, he did the research. He went to people that were willing to give their lives for the cause of the gospel. And he arranged all the pieces so Theophilus and us can know the truth and that we can stand on asphalt. After the first service, a guy came up who was a civil engineer, which I don't even know exactly why I didn't have the arts. I don't really know what that is. Someone can tell me after the service. It's civil, I just thought like he's, my first thought was like he's, respectful, like civil. I didn't know. Like, well, that's nice. I hope you know he's civil. Um, but he said his, his kind of expertise was in asphalt. And so I got like a whole thing about it. And it was fascinating. And he said, it really is. It's, it's asphalt concrete or something like that. And he said, it's like, it's like one of the hardest substances that you can think. And he described the whole thing and the history of it to me. And I wish I could recount it for you, but I can't. But it was genius. And it, and it leads me back to this, to say, um, describe your faith in terms of your feet. This is the conversation over lunch. This is the things to ponder. Because in, in a no judgment zone, all right, create a no judgment zone. And then just describe where you are in your Faith. When you think of your faith, are you standing on concrete? Do you feel secure in what you know and what you believe? Are you certain? Do you kind of feel like I got a foot in, a foot off? Or I'm kind of here, but I kind of tap my toe over here every so often. Or I do the opposite. I kind of tap my toe back this way every so often. Or I watch everybody going over there that looks like they have it figured out. And I just sort of feel like I'm standing over here. My feet are not even close to a path. I don't even know which path to be on. Or I feel like I'm standing there and I look and there's 50 different directions that I'm supposed to go and I don't really know what to do. Or I feel confident about this and walking on this path. This one confuses me. This one confuses me. This is your conversation over Zoom, over lunch. This is your introspective moment when you're sitting down with your journal to say, let me think about where I am in my faith. And I think this illustration of your feet can be quite helpful. My hope is that the person who feels like they're, you ever been in a pool on a, like a floaty and tried to stand on it. And even if you get on it for just a second, you know darn well that like you barely move and it's gonna throw everything off and your legs are just gonna be going. My hope is that as we walk through the gospel of Luke, even someone who feels like that by the end would feel like they are standing on concrete and secure in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ.